everyone. Welcome to Fire the Canon. This is the podcast where we read the books in the Western canon and decide if they belong or not. You're going to learn so much you don't even realize you're having fun, and you're going to have so much fun you didn't even realize you were learning while you were having fun while you were learning. My name's Jackie. I'm one of your hosts. I'm Rachel. I had nothing to do with that convoluted tagline. (laughs) And I'm Theo, the producer. So as you all know, we are the only podcast that loves love in all of its forms. It's kind of our brand. In all of its forms. Other podcasts might say that they love love in all of its forms. But we actually do. We actually do. Yeah. And we say it frequently. Yeah. We we say it with words and we say it with our action. True. So to continue with the romantic <laughs> with theme that's been going on. <laughs> with our on dark since... deeds. <laughs> yes. All right. You wanna you wanna you wanna try to say it, Rachel? Yes, I wanna introduce the episode. To continue on with the romantic theme that we we've been dealing with since Valentine's Day, we will be reading and comparing a love poem from each half of a famous married pair of poets. Jackie, you want to talk about them real quick? Yes. Dr. and Mrs. Seuss. (laughs) No. No, Dr. and Dr. Seuss. Are you serious? Doctor and astronaut Seuss. Doctor and astronaut. Doctor and Esquire Seuss. Yeah. <laughs> Did he? Even, I don't know. Uh, no, actually, it's Robert Browning and Elizabeth Barrett Browning. And we're going to just briefly, briefly talk about them because this is going to be kind of zip, zap, zap episode. We're going to be really fast. Elizabeth Browning was born in what? Uh, early 1800s? I mean, I'll pull it up if you if you're going to be asking me. <laughs> yeah, sorry. He he was six years younger than her, and he was born in 1812. So she was born in 1806. We stan a cougar. We stan a cougar. I don't know if six years is a cougar. but <laughs> Back in the day, <laughs> <Okay>. it was. <laughs> uh, yeah. I guess it kind of was, yeah. So she had kind of a strange life. She had a dad who was, like, really kind of terrible Wow, what a freak tyrannical. having a dad. <laughs> Yeah, she had a dad. It was really weird. Um, she you w- got to wait for the end of the sentence, Rachel. <laughs> yeah, really. She was the first in her family in over 200 years to be born in England because for the previous two centuries, her family members had all been born in Jamaica, which is where her dad was, who was like a very wealthy slaveholder. So they were a slave-owning family. Very bad family tradition. Very bad family tradition. Elizabeth was staunchly anti-slavery, and she grew up in England, and she didn't really get along with her dad for a lot of these reasons. And he wouldn't allow any of his children to marry, so... Ever? No, he didn't want any of his children to ever get married. He wanted them all to just... And he had 11 kids, right? He had a lot of kids, yeah. I think it's 11. Wow. (laughs) That's a lot of poor, unmarried souls. Slave owners. Yeah, that's like the opposite (laughs) of what a lot of parents at that time wanted. Um, And... At one, and her health was pretty bad. Like, she injured her back while riding a horse one time. And then she also had some type of, like, lung ailment that never went away. So she was a little sickly. And she got sent away for, like, a year to live by the seaside to recover her health. And she was accompanied by her brother, who she called Bro, which I just want to say that's so funny <laughs> because, you know, <laughs> 1800s. Is that a nickname for brother or for some, like, was his name Robert? No, his name was, like, Edward or something. Oh, okay. Brony? She called him Bro, so... I'm just imagining Elizabeth Barrett Browning and, you know, 1830 being like, bro, what's bro, up, bro? Come here. <laughs> what's up, bro? Um, but unfortunately, he drowned that year while they were at the seaside. And so in that she- very sea that was supposed to heal her. How <laughs> ironic. A cruel irony. Yeah. <laughs> in that very sea. No, weirdly enough, it was in his bathtub. I'm just kidding. It wasn't in the bathtub. It was in the sea. Yeah, she got better. He died. <laughs> so she returned home. She's very brokenhearted, very sad. At this time is when she wrote one of her most famous books of poems, just called Poems. And Robert Browning, who was six years her junior, 
saw it and she had actually praised one of his poems in that in that volume and so he saw that and he was like hey girl heard you like my poems dtf and she was like yeah lol and so they she was like no i'm dtm she was very against having sex outside of marriage and her dad was very outside of marriage so he's outside of marriage (laughs) her dad was very against marriage he doesn't believe in post-marital anything yeah (laughs) he doesn't believe in marital yeah so her dad was very opposed she said i don't care and she married him anyway and never spoke to her dad again and they moved to florence italy where her health recovered and they had a son and uh she lived for several more years very happily until she died so she was much more famous than robert for most of their lives um actually something i read said that robert browning was actually kind of thought of as elizabeth browning's husband which i was like yeah that's how i think of him uh, i personally know robert browning better because i i just liked his poems a lot because you're sexist no just no not <laughs> openly rachel <laughs> she's not out yet yeah, i'm a closeted <laughs> sexist <laughs> No, you told us back in high school, you were like, I just don't like poems written by women or college or whatever. I did tell you that, but that is not why. I didn't know Elizabeth Barrett. The world is sexist for keeping her work down and giving me this book by Robert Browning. The universe gave me this. How rude. Anyway, um, Elizabeth Browning's husband, that was Robert Browning. He didn't achieve a lot of success, but later in his life, in like his twilight years, he wrote something that did start to get some more acclaim. So he he ended his life with with a little bit of respect. And that's the story of Robert and Elizabeth Browning. But they they definitely wrote lots of love poems. And we're going to be talking about one poem by each of them. I feel like, isn't that Theo's dream now? What? (laughs) Marry a wealthy creative woman. A woman. She writes a collection of uh, pieces and one of them is like complimentary to you and then you write her back and you're like, sick music, bro. And then she says, let's get married. Yeah. Um, Let me uh, ignore my dad forever and you can take care of me until I die. Oh, that actually sounds great. (laughs) No in-laws? Ignoring her dad. (laughs) Yeah, not having to worry about that. Oh my God. So let's add another thing to your checklist. (laughs) 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 Orphan, rich woman. Yes. Oh my God. Rich orphan, doesn't want kids. A woman who wants the family line to end with her. I think it's either rich or doesn't care at all about having money ever. Those are the two options that are good for me. Okay. Yeah. So both very different ends of the spectrum. But I, I just don't want someone to expect me to have money. Okay. No one does. Don't worry. But I feel like rich is better <laughs> for you because then you don't have to edit <laughs> video anymore or whatever. All right. So what poems are we reading, Rachel? Oh, I had one thing to say. Or do you about want to the, tell a story the about the, about Stevens? I almost said Thievens, but Thievens, <laughs> but. <laughs> No, I don't want to do either of those things. I want to tell one funny anecdote about the Browning family. Okay. Ooh. So they had one son. Elizabeth sadly had several miscarriages, which was, you know, pretty common at the time and is still pretty common. Yep. Talk about it, guys. Talk about it. Oh, not me and Theo, though, right? Like people in general. I just mean, yeah, normalize. normalize. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So that's my little plug. (laughs) Okay. I agree. Sure. So uh, they had one son and his his name was Robert as well, but his nickname was Penn. And here's something hilarious about him. Do you guys know Nathaniel Hawthorne? He of the Scarlet Letter. Yeah. Thea? I've seen Easy A. Oh, okay. Then you basically get it. Yeah, you basically, yeah. So I'm going to read you a quote. He met their child and he wrote something about him. And do you want to hear what it is? Yes. Sure. Okay. I'll edit it down a little bit because he had so much to say. 
He is nine years old and seems at once less childlike and less manly than would befit that age. I should not quite like to be the father of such a boy, and should fear to stake so much interest and affection on him as he cannot fail to inspire. I wonder what is to become of him, whether he will ever grow to be a man, whether it is desirable that he should. What? What? (laughs) Is this kid like an alien? Did he say less childlike and less manly? He was less childlike and less manly than a nine-year-old should be i don't know what that means so he's like behaving like an elderly man but like a frail elderly man what he could be behaving like a mature woman nathaniel (laughs) hawthorne what is wrong with you why would you meet a nine-year-old child and say i don't know if this kid should grow up yeah oh my god what kind of freak writes that about a child i will say that's not good constructive criticism (laughs) of a child yeah I wonder if he will ever become a man, and I wonder if we should even want him to live to become a man. I know. What a freak to say that about (laughs) your friend's kids. How would you compliment Sandwich that, though? Like, his hair is lustrous. I don't know if we should let him survive to adulthood, but he has impeccable fashion sense. (laughs) He did say that his face is very pretty and most intelligent. Mostly intelligent? God, he's got a smart face. Most intelligent. (laughs) Mostly intelligent. He said, I never saw such a boy as this before. So slender, fragile, and spirit-like. Not as if he were actually in ill health, but as if he had little or nothing to do with human flesh and blood. Then he says- Well, clearly he's never seen me. <laughs> no one's more fragile than old Fee. This kid is Timothy Chalamet. He said his parents ought to turn their whole attention to making him robust and earthly and to giving him a thicker scabbard to sheathe his spirit in. Is that a penis joke? Who was he writing this to? Is this a letter? Yeah, did he write that to Robert Brown? Uh, let's <laughs> yeah. see. Or I hope it was in his diary. No, I, it doesn't say if he wrote it to he wrote it to his parents. Here are my thoughts on your kid. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be so great like your diary it's mostly just like uh same old same old i met this terrible child today today. i hope he dies (laughs) i'm just gonna go off on this kid (laughs) yeah well that's what um doesn't someone say that about heathcliff's kid in uh in wuthering heights where he's like i don't think this kid deserves to survive. Yeah. You're thinking of Rosemary's baby. <laughs> yeah. She's so unearthly. Is that baby um, supposed to literally be the Antichrist or is it just a regular baby and she's having whatever post-traumatic birth disorder, whatever it's called? Uh, It's 100% an actual demon. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently the eyes are messed up, but you never get to see them. <laughs> I know. I always with they show the eyes because she's like, what's wrong with his eyes? And then they don't show it. And I'm like, yeah. what if he just has cataracts? Can we can fix that? What if the baby just literally <laughs> yeah. had anime eyes? Just like cartoon giant, like glittering. Or like googly eyes. Yeah, googly eyes. Yeah, yeah, yeah googly eyes. <laughs> just shake them around. And the eyes are like. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, you don't shake a baby, Theo. God. Well, a demon baby. Not even if it had googly eyes. What about a demon baby? I mean, if it had googly eyes, it's kind of Asking to be shook. Yeah, Whoa. right? <laughs> Rachel, come on. Come on. Just quit being such a prude. First, Jackie's like, we need to be more open talking about miscarriages. Now she's like, go ahead and shake that baby. It's asking for yeah. it. If it has googly eyes, if it doesn't, then don't. God, it's a simple rule. That's her advice as a genetic counselor. Yeah. What if the baby came out and it had just had this little blue window on its chest and you saw that it had one of those little magic eight ball things in there? <laughs> like that's asking to be shook. <laughs> or what if like it came out and its head was clear and there was just a lot of sparkly confetti floating 
inside. What if what if it came out and there was a little tag on its ear and it just said in gorgeous calligraphy, shake me. Shake. What if it came out and the baby was like, shake me, shake me. <laughs> I would feel conflicted for sure. I would. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What if the baby just started saying things like bop it, twist it. <laughs> Things like that, and then and then you had to do it to the baby. That would be oh, that would be a very unfortunate baby. That would be very unfortunate. God, maybe that's why babies can't talk because we don't know what they would say. They might issue all <laughs> yeah. sorts of weird commands. They're just bent on destruction. <laughs> it was an evolutionary adaptation for them not to talk because they used to just ask you to hurt them. Twist it, <laughs> pull it, bop yeah. it. Um, man, okay, we went off on the rails. Yeah, what if it had a label on it that said shake well? Shake well. Yeah. Shake shake well for best results, yeah. Yeah. So do we have to cut all of that because we've just been joking about shaking babies for like five minutes? No. No, absolutely not. We're not allowed to cut it. People need to know. Yeah. We need to normalize. It's a public service announcement. But like literally don't shake your baby. Don't, literally don't, not at all. Basically no matter what. Even if it tells you to. <laughs> yeah. If the baby comes out and is yelling, please shake me, please shake me, you know, that's just a natural selection at work. But still don't do it. So. But still don't do it. Nature's had <laughs> <Yeah>. her time. <laughs> if she hasn't selected it enough, then it's too bad. Okay. <laughs> okay. You want to start? Let's start with old Rob. Brownie Rob. Okay. Pull up Love in a Life and follow along with Jackie. Or don't follow along and just let let me read it to you and maybe you'll process it better that way. No, he he needs to see it. He It's not going to go into his head if he just hears it. Are you a visual learner, Theo? Because I figured you were an auditory learner like me. I literally can't learn ever, no matter how it's presented to me. He's not a learner. <laughs> He's just not a learner. I finally realized that about myself like a couple years ago because I feel like everyone just says like, I'm such a visual learner. And so I would just like say that because I assumed that I was as well. But in fact, I... Can't remember anything through visual processing. I have to hear it. My dad had me, uh, like he found some test online when I was a kid that would tell you what type of learner you were. And it said, no, <laughs> cannot compute, <laughs> yeah, so, no result. Well, he had me take it. But then, of course, because like when I was a kid, I wanted to be like the smartest person. So I would I didn't I didn't answer any of them truthfully. I just answered what I thought the most impressive one would be every time. And then I got multimodal learner. OK, <laughs> pretty impressive, right? It basically was just like this kid's faking. sure give him something that sounds impressive yeah whatever nice get him off the website we don't want him here (laughs) get him off the website okay well this is love in a life is that pathetic or i mean it's in keeping with your character yeah that's pretty pathetic we've all done weird things for weird sorry dad i'm not a multimodal learner he still brings it up every once in a while that i'm a multimodal learner like that Theo is a multimodal learner. It's <laughs> not what you sound like, Dad. Sorry. That's how you. I know. That's, right. I know that's not what Frank sounds like. That's what your impression of him sounds like. But it's still, it's kind of close. It's I mean, closer than Theo's like impression of Seth. <laughs> sorry, I led us astray with all these different ways I learn. Mm-hmm. All right, ready? Yes. Love in a Life by Robert Browning. Room after room, I hunt the house through. We inhabit together. Heart, fear nothing. For heart, thou shalt find her. Next time, herself not the trouble behind her, left in the curtain, the couch's perfume. As she brushed it, the cornice wreath blossomed anew. Yon looking-glass gleamed at the wave of her feather. Yet the day wears, and door succeeds door. I try the fresh fortune, range the wide house from the wing to the center. Still the same chance, she goes out as I enter. 
spend my whole day in the quest. Who cares? But tis twilight, <laughs> you see, with such sweets to explore, such closets to search, such alcoves to importune. Such alcoves. Such alcoves to importune. <laughs> There's a weird number of syllables in that last line. Such closets to search, such alcoves to importune. Yeah. But tis twilight, you see, with such sweets to explore, such closets to search, such alcoves to importune. I think that's like three too many syllables. Three too many. Okay, well, let's dig old Brownie Rob up and critique him. <laughs> Let him know. Yeah. Listen, here's our problem with your son. Here's our problem with your poem. <laughs> yeah. I really like it until the end. I just feel like it's too much. But um, do you want to do Elizabeth's and then talk about them or talk about them separately? Let's, let's briefly talk about this one. So here's what I'm going to say. I love... The sneaky little rhymes that he throws yes, in. Yes, that's my favorite thing about Robert Browning, his sneaky rhymes and his sense of rhythm. It is fun to read aloud. I want more rhymes, though. Give me more rhymes. Forever? Yeah. But, like, list those sneaky those sneaky rhymes. Feather, center. It's exactly the middle of each stanza. Yeah. The very center two lines of each stanza rhyme. Mm -hmm. And it's always like... Oh, I feel so refreshed. I feel so ready for the new day, to paraphrase my dad's prayer that he always does. Hmm. It makes you feel fresh and ready for the new day, the rhymes? Refreshed. Say them so our audience knows, maybe. Um, heart fear nothing, for heart thou shalt find her. Next time herself, not the trouble behind her. And then range the White House from the wing to the center. Still the same chant, she goes out as I enter. Theo, give us some thoughts. Yeah, I kind of like how it's, I don't know if we mentioned that it's like in two sections. Did we say that? Yes, it's. A, uh, we didn't say that, but it is in two stanzas. But I mean, it, it's also like he writes one and two above it. Doesn't that seem like a little more um, significant? Or is well, that I think he just, he tends to number the, all of his stanzas of his poems. Oh, really? Yeah, just so you can like refer to oh. whichever one you're talking about. I mean, in this one, it, it's either one or the other. So maybe that wasn't necessary. <laughs> I kind of think it's interesting just visually on the page. Like it starts out with short lines and then yeah. goes to longer lines. So it's three short lines, four longer lines. And that also changes like the pacing of how you read and, you know, read the poem, whether uh, silently to yourself or out loud. Room after room, I hound the husband. Kind of gives the sense of things like spilling out or something like that, you know what I mean? We inhabit the house together, yet you can't really ever find her anywhere. Every time you go out, she goes in and vice versa. I think I could interpret it as maybe um, it's just his imagination of the ideal woman, or maybe it's someone he just like can't pin down for whatever reason. Maybe it's a ghost. Ghost. What do you think, Rachel? Just looking for love. Waiting for love. Just looking for love. Isn't that nice, Theo? Mm -hmm. But why is it a house? Just a metaphor he picked. He's saying, like, I've spent the whole day hunting through this house and it's getting dark now, but who cares? I still have so many places to search. Maybe he's saying, like, it's getting later in my life and it doesn't matter. I have to keep trying to find her. I can't stop. And how old was he when they got together? Uh, they got together in, eh, he would have been in his... 30s or 40s. I mean, not that old. That's good. <laughs> Rachel's making a, a meaningful glance at Theo. See? Uh, He's only 29. And he found his <laughs> perfect creative match. Perfect creative match. Do you think he minded that she was more famous than him? If he did, I hate him. I don't know. I wouldn't mind being called Elizabeth Browning's husband. I think, yeah, Elizabeth Browning is awesome. So uh, why don't we move on to her? Mm. Unless you want to say anything else about this. And then we shall compare. Yeah. Well, remember, we're going to have to kick one of these out. Well, I do want to say, I remember I <laughs> You're was... You're like, I take it back. <laughs> <laughs> I was told one of my first poetry professors, Ross White, um, who is a patron of ours and... 
who we may be doing some projects with in the future. Ross said that you only have three exclamation marks that you get to use in your whole poetic career, so you need to choose them pretty wisely. Uh-oh. What? Uh, Robert Browning just outdid himself by one here because there's two in each stanza, so we might have to fire it just for that. Whoa. Well, maybe Ross isn't, wow. you know, the boss of Robert Browning. <laughs> or the boss of exclamation marks. I will say that after he said that, I wrote a poem and the title was just three exclamation marks. And, oh and he God. was like, fuck you. You're spent. You get an F. <laughs> fuck you. You get an A. <laughs> wow. I wrote that for the next class, so he didn't get to see it. So sorry, Ross. I was a little pissed at that advice. Do you think that's kind of outdated advice at this point when we're all texting each other with tons? of exclamation points all the time and emails with exclamation points. Are our texts poems? Theo's are. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Are yours not, Rachel? (laughs) Um, I just feel like it's kind of changed, right? Like how often we use exclamation points in our lives. I don't know if it's outdated advice. It seems like it's updated advice because old poems had a ton of exclamation marks. Robert Browning used them all the time. Yeah. Mm. And I never really know what to make of them because if someone used that now, I, I can't help but look at this as a modern reader and think of it as a little bit funny where he's like dang it still the same chance I went out she came in like but I don't know that he would have meant it to be like that you know what I mean what do you think Rachel Mm. about the exclamation points yeah are they supposed to be like silly like when we use exclamation points in poems now it usually means like this is whimsical no I don't I don't think he was trying to be silly I think he was using it to exclaim for emphasis yeah yeah but when Old Dirty Bastard said, get applause like a matador cry, yell an ole, that was kind of supposed to be funny. There was definitely an exclamation mark there. You think, Theo? <laughs> well, it would be too if you're saying it's Spanish. You'd have to have an ex- upside down one and a right side up one. You're right. right. Oh, my God. That's two out of the three for his whole career. Sorry, ODB. <laughs> Spanish poets yeah. are really at a disadvantage because that means they really only get two. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> and we'll give them four just to be nice. I'm sorry. I'm still, I'm hung up on why he's searching for love, but he's already in the same house. He knows she's in the house too, but he just hasn't found her yet. Yeah. Because the house is maybe a metaphor for his life, right? Love in a life. Uh-huh. I'm searching all the aspects of my life. What do you think the couch is? He's like, I, surely I've met someone that I should be in love with. Yeah. What do you think the curtain is? Next time herself, not the trouble behind her left in the curtain. That sounds like the curtain moved and it like was disturbed somehow. And he's like, I need to find her, not the way that she's fucking with the curtains. Yeah. <laughs> well, he's like being a detective, tracking her down. Oh, the curtain has moved slightly since last time. She must have been in this room. Must have been my true love. <laughs> or in the dead house from the Goosebumps book where it's like the curtain moves and then they're like <laughs> across the house. <laughs> yeah. Must be zombie children. <laughs> just think it's very pretty as she brushed at the cornice wreath blossomed a new yawn looking glass gleamed at the wave of her feather yeah i think he kind of messes up the end of both stanzas <laughs> yeah i honestly agree. should have kept rhyming <laughs> it is cool that he has the rhyme in like the middle two parts and then it, so then it separates the stanza into like three parts right but then i just don't like the last part of either one Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you're like, you've already rhymed. That's the climax of the stanza. <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> I mean, you got to stick the landing. And I don't I honestly don't think, especially at the end of the second stanza, he doesn't stick the landing because importune is such a weird word to end the line on because weird... it's, it's three syllables, but also it's. The emphases that you put on those syllables is it's not it's not ever going to sound really pleasing unless you just say the word wrong. Hmm. I was about to say he should have put an exclamation point, but he did. He did. <laughs> so I guess it is a perfect line. <laughs> Even worse. Dang, is that all I have to do to make perfect lines is just end them with exclamation marks? Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay. Then people know you mean it. Theo knows. All right. Okay. So now we're going to hear a poem by the wife of Robert Browning, the one who's even more famous. So this one's called Sonnet 43, but it's sometimes called How Do I Love Thee after the first line. All right, ready? Mm-hmm. How do I love thee? Let me count the ways. I love, thee, <laughs> I love thee to the depth and breadth and height my soul can reach when feeling out of sight for the ends of being an ideal grace. I love thee to the level of every day's most quiet need by sun and candlelight. I love thee freely as men strive for right. I love thee purely as they turn from praise. I love thee with the passion put to use in my old griefs and with my childhood's faith. I love thee with a love I seem to lose with my lost saints. I love thee with the breath, smiles, tears of all my life. And if God choose, I shall but love thee better after death. All right. That rhymed. (sighs) Yeah, that one's better. I gotta say that one's better. (laughs) At first, I was thinking to myself, uh, I mean, like I said, I'm biased because I really liked Robert Browning. And then everybody knows, like, how do I love thee? Let me count the ways. I was like, well... It's just so obvious at this point. I don't know that I can I can feel that good about it. But the rest of it, ah, so good. I mean, the thing is, the first line is by far the most famous. Nobody but knows like, the rest. The rest of it is way better. <laughs> yeah, way better. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine it. You could have ruined this whole poem by being like, "Let me count the ways." Number one, I one, love two. the <laughs> yes. And if you had done numbers, that would have wrecked the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> and at the end, she could have been like, that was six. There are six ways that I love thee or whatever. Grand total. Grand total. <laughs> yeah, like a calculation. I mean, just like the things that she says are good. This is why they got married, because she wrote this for him. <laughs> she wrote it for him and gave it to him? Yeah. This is for Robert. And he said... Really? All these ways? All these freaking ways? Okay, so this is when they were, before they were married, after they met. But I'm saying, if you were, like, chatting with someone, and then they wrote this poem for you, Too much. it's game over. Yeah. Don't you think? <laughs> if you're talking. If you're talking. Like, if you're just talking, if you're not exclusive yet, and they're like, how do I love thee? Let me count the ways. Oh. But it's so good, And you'd be though. like, whoa, I think we need to reassess our relationship. I think we need to reassess. The thing is, it's just like they say in Pride and Prejudice... Poetry is the food of a fine, hearty, stout love. But if it's just started, it might scare it off altogether. Mm. So she wrote 44 sonnets all about her love for Robert Browning before they got married. And this is 43 out of 44. Seems a little clingy, you know what I mean? No. uh, (laughs) Clingy to her husband? (laughs) To her fiancé. Wait, so the most famous one is number 43 and there was only one more? Like, did did they get better? Let me look it up. Like, it took her until number 43. Do you want to hear 44? It's very short. Okay, let's see if it's better. Beloved, thou hast brought me many flowers plucked in the garden all the summer through, and winter, and it seemed as if they grew in this close room, nor missed the sun in showers. So, in the like name of that love of ours, take back these thoughts which here unfolded too, and which on warm and cold days I withdrew from my heart's ground. Indeed, those beds and bowers be overgrown with bitter weeds and rue, and wait thy weeding. Yet here's... Eglantine, here's ivy, take them as I used to do, thy flowers, and keep them where they shall not pine. Instruct thine eyes to keep their colors true, and tell thy soul their roots are left in mine. Pretty good. Not as good, I think. That's cute, but not as good, yeah. I like when she said, you need to weed my heart. Yeah, (laughs) of course. (laughs) Um, No, but what I like about this one, about 43, Mm -hmm. it's kind of one of those poems that you have to think about a little bit to get what it means. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, you get what it means, like, right off the bat. It's like, I love you a whole bunch. Yeah. But <laughs> I love thee to the level of every day's most quiet need by sun and candlelight. That's great. What does that mean? What is the level of every day's most quiet need? And then you have to kind of think about it, and you're like, means, it means just like— I'll make, you a, I'll make you some coffee in the morning. I'll bring you a sandwich for lunch if you're working and you can't take a break. I thought of it more as, like, being alone, like— when I'm alone and it's sunny or when I'm alone and like the night is coming and the candle is lit, it's you think about what you need in a person. And I love you to that level because you're the level of that person that I crave when I'm by myself. Sure. That's what I think. Well, that's what I'm saying. They make your day easier. They make you less lonely. I mean, I'm just saying I love thee freely as men strive for right. I love thee purely as they turn from praise. That's great. Yes. Elizabeth, that was really good. And I love thee with the passion put to use in my old grief. She's referring to being young and having like angst and passion and anger. And with my childhood's faith. Yeah. That's so, great. They're all good. <laughs> Every line is good. Wait, you're not. You got to let me finish. My <laughs> it's <sentence>. all good. <laughs> she's just too excited. You know, she's thinking about all of these these things that used to feel so much stronger in her youth, like her faith was stronger in her youth. So right there with just those four words, with my childhood's faith, you get the sense that like she started to, and Robert Browning was an atheist and a vegetarian, which he took up after reading that Percy Bysshe Shelley was one as well. So he okay, did that. he's a weeb. He's a Shelley weeb. He's a Shelley weeb. <laughs> well, I wonder if Elizabeth also became an atheist because she's like, I I took all of the faith that I had in my childhood and I started just applying it to my faith in our love. You know, that's just so beautiful. I love thee with a love I seem to lose with my lost saints. So she, all of the love that she had for those saints of her childhood, she now loves thee instead it seems like she was religious at some point but she did mention her lost saints so i don't think she kept those saints i mean towards the end of her life she was religious she had a correspondence with a with a reverend that was kept up mm-hmm. for a while well she must but, have gone I mean, back it, even even if you're religious in your life there's still nothing i mean you guys theo didn't grow up religious jackie you kind of did but I'm just saying, like, even if you maintain your faith as an adult, there's nothing like when you're a little kid and you're singing, like, Jesus loves me. You know what I mean? It's different than how it feels as a child. It's a different kind of thing. Even just, like, when you're a little kid and you're thinking about your parents, the way that you feel about them when you grow up, you ideally you still love your parents. You can't feel the same, like— faith in them as you did yeah no like idolatry yeah that's a complex thought and she just kind of tossed it out to be like yeah very few words exactly (laughs) in a sonnet that she was able to say all of these things i mean that's pretty amazing yeah i mean and and it's got this like universal feel to it because it's like as men strive for right it's not necessarily like as my brother did when he was in the military or as you know like the people of england do or something it's like just men men all humanity striving for like the Thing that is right that's oh my god that's so how good. i feel about you brownie rob <laughs> brownie rob old dirty brown yeah browning what do we call them old dirty browning <laughs> <laughs> now that sounds like the nathan fielder song downtown brown which we don't need to talk about on the podcast nathan come on the pod we know you're listening <laughs> oh god nathan come on all right theo what do you think about this poem i mean we're loving it are you loving it or not i mean okay yeah. wait let's quickly the last line where she says if God choose, I shall but love thee better after death. So she's like, hey, if God lets me have an afterlife, 
I'll still be really into you. <laughs> We're going to go to heaven together, hopefully. That's weird to me, but I don't know. It's weird That's to weird. think of that. <laughs> I'd be weirded out if someone told me that. If someone wrote this to you, Thea, would you be fine with it until the last line, or would you be weirded out the whole time? You'd be like, okay, the way men strive for right, loving it, yeah. <laughs> the love you feel yeah. for your lost saints, sweet. Wait a second. We still have to be together after we're dead? No, thanks. No, no, no. Not into that. <laughs> so wait. So, Theo, if this was your fiancé, though, fiance. it's not some girl you met on Hinge. It's your fiancé whose father has forbidden her from marrying you, and she's, like, trying to figure out how to do it anyway. In that case, are you fine with it? Yeah, it'd be great. I love thee with a love I seem to lose with my lost dad. <laughs> I feel like you have to have a lot of self-confidence to be like, okay, I accept this poem as is my due. I mean, I just, I guess I feel like some of these comparisons, I have no idea what that feels like, like as men strive for right. <laughs> I've never striven for right in my life. I mean, honestly, <laughs> I'd feel like, what is my, you know, what is my point of reference here, really? She says, I love thee freely. I mean, I don't know. I'm not out there like doing anything crazy either, but I feel like you can imagine freely as men strive for right. Like if you're going out of your way to like stand in the street and like protest against something or fight something like physically or like with all of your like oratory powers, all of your energy like put towards this goal that you think is worthwhile, you don't hold back. You do that with all of your energy because you think this is what's right. As much as you can, yeah. Yeah, and that's exactly what she's saying. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, I no. I feel like Theo's like <laughs> loving me to the level of every day's most quiet need. Sure. I get that. I do get that. I need that. a woman who will shut up while I compose for three hours. That's not, I mean. Is that how, that's how you feel. Well, we interpret that differently. What do you think that is, Theo? <laughs> because Rachel says it's like, for her, it's I bring you coffee and leave you alone. And I'm like, <laughs> for me, it's like a much more spiritual thing. I think it's someone who can tell little things that you need, like normal, everyday, small things. But also she's like, the way men turn from praise also that. Quiet need makes me think almost of like things that you need, but you don't feel like you can ask for. Like what? Give an example. Yeah, I think of it like like just like your private yearning, you know, like the things like that- Like a fetish thing? No. No, not like a fetish okay. thing. Like it's like a common thing that people say like it's impossible to make friends or something after you leave college or something. Yeah. Everybody has this like quiet need for companionship or something like that. But then you're like scared to like reach out and ask someone. Like to, every like, single person wants friends but is too scared to yeah. find the other people. Yeah. You mean it's someone who just can look at you and be like, he wants to date me <laughs> without you having to say anything? Uh, I don't know. Maybe just like understand you in a, in a way you know yeah know. but when i when i see her say every day's most quiet need i feel like it's just something that pops up often and it isn't that big of a deal but then they do it for you and you're like that's so nice that could be that is a nice idea i mean i guess when she says by sun and candlelight she probably means throughout the day yeah but i kind of took those things as meaning like the ways that you feel different from one part of the day to the other and the times that like you yeah you're by yourself and you're not really mm. or like yeah. i think of a quiet need as not like the need for like something physical like a like a meal or something i think of it like patting you on the head nice work no like spiritual <laughs> fulfilling yeah. well the reason i don't think that is just because rachel's love language is gifts the reason i don't <laughs> think that is because the rest of the poem i feel like she's saying it's everything it's it is everything from the tiny little physical to the gigantic spiritual. So that's why I think her saying every day's most quiet need 
is more practical, small love things. And then she goes to the spiritual. I just think if the whole thing was like, that's probably it's this true. giant spiritual love, it's not as good. That's my opinion. I think you're probably right. I like my original. That's my thing. I always like my original interpretation. I will say when she says, I love thee to the depth and breadth and height, I just thought like, Area equals length times width times height. Nice. (laughs) Yeah. I love thee to the area of a triangle. When feeling out of sight for the ends of being an ideal grace. That's a little confusing to me. Well, maybe that's more what I'm trying to get at. Like feeling out of sight. Like you can't, this isn't something you can like physically see, but you're like thinking about like what is the most extreme feeling or what's like biggest love possible yeah like what are what are what's the most like strong like deep emotion that i can think about or like Mm -hmm. ideal grace like what's the most beautiful perfect pure thing i can think about like this is it well anyway that's why i think she's just saying my love it runs the gamut all kinds of stuff for me (laughs) anyway so that's i mean it seems like she's the winner am i right oh yeah i thought you were gonna vote for Rob, but... No, this is clearly a better poem. I thought we were going to have to fight. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, I there are other poems of Robert Browning's that I like more. Rachel told me they were too long to read, but... Um, we'll talk about them later. Don't worry. Yeah. But this isn't a fair comparison. They're writing about different things. No, they're right? both talking yeah. about... it's. They're both love poems. That was the whole point of the episode. Well... She has found, no, she has found her love. He's looking for his. Well, then maybe we should have done life and a love. Should we quickly do life and a love and compare them? No, <laughs> well, that's, I don't want to do anything. Sure. I mean, that's why we didn't do it, though, because we wanted it to be like Okay, well, let's just okay. very quickly do life and a love, which is very short, and then you can see if hers wins on merit or by default. You going to read it, Jack? Life and a love. Escape me? Never, beloved. While I am I, and you are you, so long as the world contains us both, me the loving and you the loath. What is the loath? I think it means the hated one. The one who hates. Yeah. <laughs> While the one eludes, must the other pursue. My life is a fault at last, I fear. It seems too much like a fate indeed. Though I do my best, I shall scarce succeed. But what if I fail of my purpose here? It is but to keep the nerves at strain, to dry one's eyes and laugh at a fall. And baffled, get up and begin again. So the chase takes up one's life, that's all. While look but once from your farthest bound at me so deep in the dusk and dark, no sooner the old hope goes to ground than a new one, straight to the selfsame mark, I shape me, ever removed. I like that poem better than the other one, but I still think hers is better. I still think hers is better, yeah. Sorry, Rob. Yeah. Sorry, Rob. Just takes L after L. L after L. Nathaniel Hawthorne critiques his son. (laughs) Whatever became of his unearthly son who did Nathaniel Hawthorne like come back and kill him before he He became an artist. He married a famous uh, like a well-known socialite, very wealthy. He like remade this whole old Italian palace. He was pretty well known and he ended up, he and his wife kind of drifted apart probably because he had an affair with one of his muses and then he lost his eyesight as he aged, but he was totally content. Never had any kids and he died. He seemed like he had a pretty good life. He he seemed pretty happy. I mean, if you have a chance to have an affair with your muse, you kind of got to do it, right? No, I don't agree with that. <laughs> your muse? <laughs> yeah, I don't agree with that. You get to pick your own muse. It's not like a divinely inspired thing. No, you don't. 
that's what a muse is. It's like you should have married your muse in the first place. You do get to pick your muse. If that's not the case, how come the freaking muse is always like a nineteen-year-old beautiful girl? Oh, for me, it's Nathan Fielder. Okay, so <laughs> you're really just asking us if you should cheat on Joshua with Nathan Fielder. Sure, go ahead. <laughs> We're joking. Don't don't cheat. We love love in all of its forms, but be good. All right. Well, thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed these poems. If you want to get in touch with us, our email is firethecanonpodcast at gmail.com. Send us a hot take or two. What do you think was the better of the poems? Do you have a different poem that's a love poem that you prefer? Send us your faves. Uh, 12 lines and under only, please. And then <laughs> our uh, Facebook is firethecanonpodcast. Our Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok are Fire the Cannon Pod. Our website is firethecannonpod.com. Nice. And as always, Cannon is spelled C A N O N. Exclamation mark, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. <laughs> Bye, everyone. We love love in all of its forms. Bye. Love you guys. Love you guys. In all of your forms. Wait, let's count the ways. Let's count how many ways we love them. <laughs> One, two, three, four, five, six. Let's count the ways. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> six ways. <laughs>